It is indeed a humbling privilege to speak after hearing such beautiful music presented by our chamber singers this morning. Thank you. Our Old Testament scripture reading today is from the book of Psalms. You'll find that on page 499, it is Psalm 27, a Psalm of David. Before we read, please join me in prayer, prayer of illumination. Almighty God, through your only Son, you overcame death and opened us to the light of eternity. Enlighten our minds and kindle our hearts with the presence of your Spirit, that we may hear your words of comfort and challenge in the reading of the Scriptures. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Psalm 27, Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart is not fear, though, shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord that I will seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of the tent. He will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You who have been my help, do not cast me off. Do not forsake me. O God of my salvation, if my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and leave me, lead me on a level plain, a level path because of my enemies. Do not give me up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they are breathing out violence. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the, of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The word of the Lord.
before we get to the New Testament lesson, I want to just take a quick minute to, to make a recommendation to you. If you can ever position yourself to sit right next to somebody who can really sing, right? Um, it will do amazing things for your self-esteem. I mean, it's like you're driving down the highway and you're, you're slipstreaming and being dra- drafting behind a semi-truck, you know, and like he's pulling you along. And, you know, we're sitting there singing the first hymn and I'm thinking, I am amazing. I mean, <laughs> listen to me sing. Um, it really does wonders for your self-esteem. So just some, uh, just some recommendations for you. Let's see if we can channel that in some good directions. Uh, our New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel of Luke, the 13th chapter, verses 31 uh, through 35. So listen now for the, this word that God gives to the church. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said to them, go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in the ninth chapter of Luke, a key transition in the life and ministry of Jesus takes place. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, the evangelist writes, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus does not actually enter Jerusalem for another 10 chapters. But until that entry on Palm Sunday, everything that Jesus would say and do would point toward Jerusalem and what would happen there. For a faithful Jew, there really could be no other ultimate destination. According to Scripture, the salvation of the world would begin when the Messiah entered Jerusalem From the east. This is why the area just to the east of the old city, which is known today as the Kidron Valley or the Valley of Jehoshaphat, is still the home of thousands upon thousands of Jewish graves. These are some of the most sought after burial sites in the world, and the tombs are literally stacked like bunk beds on top of each other. And when salvation comes, these people wanted to be as close as they could possibly be to the heart of the action. From the Bible's perspective, Jerusalem is the epicenter of the world, the navel of the cosmos, the wellspring of the earth, the center and the source of salvation. 
So with good reason, the Gospel of Luke emphasizes that for the majority of Jesus' ministry, if not for his entire ministry, Jesus knew that his story would end and get its new beginning in the city of Jerusalem. Now, in the verses we read this morning, a vision of this ancient city enters into Jesus' imagination. He has not yet arrived at the city. He is not near the city. He can't see the city. But that city is still on his mind. And in this moment, we are not told whether Jesus weeps. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. But he definitely weeps later when he first catches sight of that city on Palm Sunday. And that tearful moment is a reprise of the same themes that we are reading this morning. So as Jesus thinks about Jerusalem and the way that Jerusalem represents the entire world and everyone in it in relation to God... What exactly is Jesus lamenting? And why is Jesus weeping? The first cause of Jesus' lament is power. Worldly power backed by violence. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. More often than not, the role of the Hebrew prophet involved speaking truth to powerful people. Truth that was often unwelcome by those kings and powerful people, the people who received the news. Now, false prophets could make a pretty good living, actually, simply by telling those rulers exactly what they wanted to hear. Some of them were literally on the palace payroll, and they could get nice, warm rooms in the castle. They could get good places at these sumptuous banquet tables, But by contrast, the prophets who spoke the truth to men who didn't want to hear the truth suffered in all kinds of ways. Jeremiah, for example, who became known as the weeping prophet, was locked in the stocks and bound in chains. Micaiah got publicly slapped in the face by Zedekiah and then thrown in prison by King Ahab. Elijah had a price put on his head and was actively hunted by Queen Jezebel. And while it's not in the Bible, some uh, ancient sources, some non-canonical sources, suggest that the prophet Isaiah was sawed in half by the idolatrous king Manasseh, whom the prophet had publicly challenged and offended. And, of course, John the Baptist ended up with his head on a platter. So now people are warning Jesus not to get close to Jerusalem because Herod is hunting him in the same way and wants his head on a platter too. Jesus dismisses Herod, however, as a fox, which was an interesting choice of words and an interesting choice of metaphor. In Jewish culture, the fox was considered to be a clever creature, but only in a sly conniving, unprincipled way. The fox was linked with destruction. And Jesus clearly has no time for leaders like this. So the first lament of Jesus over Jerusalem is a lament over the way that worldly power had been used and abused to contend against the word of God. 
And instead of being open to the truth, instead of responding to God's messengers with humility and repentance and gratitude, instead of leading God's people with righteousness and grace and truth, the leaders of Jerusalem had instead used power and violence to ostracize, humiliate, and even kill the messengers of God. So, This sinful preference for worldly power over God's word leads directly to the second aspect of Jesus' lament, which is intense grief over tragic and unnecessary loss. The only other time the Gospels talk about Jesus weeping, he was at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, as I told the children earlier. When Jesus saw Martha crying, And when he realized how other friends and family members were deeply grieving this loss, the Gospel of John says that Jesus himself became greatly disturbed and began to weep. So surely the personal loss of Lazarus played a part, but the Greek verbs used to describe Jesus' reaction go well beyond mere grief to include agitation and anger and even indignation. It seems that what really pushed Jesus to tears was this up-close and personal view of the way that death can crush the human spirit. Right before his eyes, he watched as death, the archenemy of life, extinguished the joy and the happiness and the health and hope Of his brothers and sisters. And he could not help but say to himself, This should not be. It should not be this way. In the same way, I believe that Jesus is weeping this week over the tragic and unnecessary loss that occurred in Christ Church, New Zealand. I think it grieves Jesus that someone would be so full of hate, so unable to see beyond the color of a person's skin or the way that a person might choose to worship, that they would choose to become a mass murderer. I think it grieves Jesus to know that weapons and implements of death still cause so much pain in our world. I think it crushes the spirit of Jesus to see the spirits of so many mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, and children crushed with such sudden and horrific loss. And I think Jesus had the same kind of reaction as he looked out over Jerusalem. The things that were happening there were not consistent with God's hopes for that city. Jerusalem was supposed to be a place of righteousness, not a place of violence. It was supposed to be a place where the weak were cared for, not where they were abused. It was supposed to be a place where the word of God was celebrated and followed, not a place of idolatry and greed. Jesus looked at Jerusalem and he said in his heart, This should not be. It should not be this way. And Jesus wept. The third element of Jesus' lament over Jerusalem was the difficulty of commitment. It bothered him. Jesus was frustrated 
that so few people in Jerusalem had recognized who he was and recognized what was happening in the world. Why couldn't the people of Jerusalem see that God was with them? Why couldn't they commit to God in the way that they needed to in that moment? And I also wonder, and perhaps you have too, whether Jesus may have been weeping at least a little bit for himself. Jesus was struggling, perhaps, with his own level of commitment. Now, I think this is a difficult question for us because we do not like to think of Jesus being weak in any way. But I think we in the church have done a much better job of talking about the divinity of Jesus than we have about talking about the humanity of Jesus. And humans, as we know, have moments. We have moments of weakness. We have moments of doubt. We have moments of uncertainty. Even the most confident people wonder if they are up to certain challenges. And if you remember, also in the Gospel of Luke, the evangelist says that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus went off by himself, and knowing that the crucifixion was imminent, he prayed that God would remove this cup from him, that he would take this burden from him. And then the book of Hebrews says that Jesus, when he prayed, he would pray with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. So perhaps part of God becoming fully human in Jesus Christ included a moment, just a moment of weakness, when Jesus wondered whether he really could do all that God needed him to do. The composer Andrew Lloyd Webber wrestled with this very question in his musical Jesus Christ Superstar. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus sings these words, I'd want to see my God, why I should die. Would I be more noticed than I ever was before? Would the things I've said and done matter any more? Can you show me now that I would not be killed in vain? Show me just a little of your omnipresent brain. Show me there's a reason for your wanting me to die. You're far too keen on where and how but not so hot on why. And despite these doubts, Jesus knows there is no other way that he must be taken into the heart of darkness, that he has to walk into the very center of power in order to fulfill his calling. And so he ends by singing these words. God, thy will is hard, but you hold every card. I will drink your cup of poison. Nail me to your cross and break me, bleed me, beat me, kill me, take me now before I change my mind. When Jesus looked on Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, all of these kinds of things had to be on his mind. And even if doubt was present, thanks be to God, it did not guide or dominate his ultimate purpose. 
Once he had turned and set his face to Jerusalem, Jesus set himself on a course that would require him to confront power and speak truth to power and take whatever power dealt out to him. It would require him to commit himself totally, to accept completely the role of servant, to pour himself out completely in love for others, and to drink completely whatever cup God needed him to drink. So Jesus may well have wept at the difficulty of commitment and the fact that it seemed that so few were willing to commit themselves in the way that he was willing to commit himself. Many years ago, when I was a 20-year-old student at Davidson College, I went with some classmates to a conference, and I heard the evangelist Tony Campolo speak. And he had just finished kind of going through a detail of all that Jesus had endured in Jerusalem for the sake of God and for the sake of all of us. And he described the way that Jesus invites us to follow him in those ways, invites us to take up our own crosses, and invites us to give ourselves as he has done. I can't imagine why anybody would say no to him, Campolo said. But everywhere I go, I meet people who believe in Jesus, but say no to him. Jesus never said, I want you to become my believers. Jesus said, I want you to become my disciples. I want you to follow me. Jesus wants us to commit ourselves to him, to commit ourselves to God, to commit ourselves to sacrificial peace, and to commit ourselves to the cause of doing something different in the world. And we cannot do this with our minds alone. If our goal is to be the kind of disciple that Jesus calls us to be, if we want to be more than just believers, then we have to do it with our whole selves. And that means our minds, our hearts, our souls, and our bodies. If there is pain in the world, that is where we have to go. If there is brokenness in the world, that is where we have to go. If there is injustice in the world, that is where we have to go. And I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. We really don't have to go very far. All of those things, all of that was in the heart and spirit of Jesus as he lamented and wept over Jerusalem. Power was being abused in Jerusalem in the same ways that power is still being abused all over the world. Tragic loss was being felt in Jerusalem in the same way that tragic loss is still being felt all over the world. A crisis of faith and commitment was plaguing Jerusalem just as a crisis of faith and commitment is still plaguing our world. And if those problems were going to be solved in this world, if salvation was going to sweep in from the east and it was going to reclaim and reshape this world, then Jerusalem was going to be the place where Jesus would have to go. The pain of the world was in Jerusalem. The brokenness of the world was in Jerusalem. The injustice of the world was in Jerusalem. So Jesus decided to pick up his cross and walk voluntarily through that valley and enter into the city of Jerusalem. And we cannot fault him for taking a moment 
and even for shedding some tears to lament the gravity of the enemy that he was about to face for you and for me and for the world. Thanks be to God. Amen.